Welcome to the Limitless Entrepreneur Podcast, your weekly dose of strategies and mindset tools to build a business in alignment with your purpose and to get you playing a bigger game. I'm your host, Nicole Leno. Hello, and welcome to the Limitless Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Leno, and I am here with a special guest today. I'm here with George Wang. George, how are you? Hey, Nicole. Uh, thank you for having me so much on your show, and uh, thank you for you know the opportunity, and I want to thank your community as well for allowing me to be here. I'm doing absolutely great. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny here in California, and uh, I think I heard a quote once that said, uh, any day when I wake up and the ground is beneath me and not above me is a good day. <laughs> Ain't that just the truth? So tell the listeners a little bit about you. I know that you're an NLP coach. You are like, tell, tell them a little bit about you. Sure. So uh, my name is Coach George Wang. And uh, correct, I'm an NLP coach and sales trainer. Uh, I wasn't always like that, though. I started my life like any normal, you know, uh, 14, 15 year old kid growing up in the 90s, right? Playing Nintendo 64, uh, you know, playing GoldenEye and shooting basketball with friends. And then uh, I had an event happen to me. Uh, I had uh, a few things happen to me. I had a kidney disease diagnosed with a kidney disease, which eventually led to them finding a tumor on my lung. And uh, when they found this tumor on my lung, the doctors immediately said, uh, I just needed to get it cut out. So I went to the ER actually with what I thought was a stomachache, but it turned out to be uh, something called renal thrombosis, which is a blood clot coming out of the left kidney going into the Mm -hmm. lung, separate from the kidney disease I had. Um, But while they were searching for that, they found the tumor on my lung. So I went in, uh, I can't remember what day it was, uh, around August 15th, August 16th, 1998. And on September 1st, I had my surgery and had my lung removed. Uh, interesting happened during that time period, though. There was just so much love outpouring from all of my friends. People came to visit me every single day. Maybe it's because they got to cut school and come to the mm-hmm. hospital. Like, I don't know. But either way, I felt the love. But what happened during that time period is something snapped in my brain. I felt during that time period that the meaning of life is based off of the human connections that we make. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I I just became obsessed during that time with human behavior. So starting when I was 19, I'm 38 now. So the past 19 years, I started studying uh, NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, started studying hypnosis, hypnotherapy. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I certified in both. On my own, I started studying uh, CBT, uh, Gestalt therapy, and, and every every kind of like human behavioral science I could get my hands on. I wanted to learn about it so that I could learn about people in general, and that led me to a very, very good, very strong sales career because I I learned that with that knowledge, with that tool, I could help a lot of people get things that they have a block around getting. And I think that's a big thing. People people feel like salespeople are bad and salespeople are evil. And I don't I don't believe that's true. You know, yeah, there are some bad apples, sure, right, who are looking out for just their commission, but there's bad people in every there, there's bad people in the supplement industry who are selling you snake oil. So uh, I really believe that part of a job of a salesperson was to help people get past whatever block that they have to getting something, some product that's actually going to really help out their lives, which is why I do believe also if you are going to be in the profession of sales, you're going to be an entrepreneur selling your own product, you'd better damn well really believe in what you sell and really sell a good product. Yeah, I always say you can't sell what you don't believe in. So yeah. the belief has to come first. Yeah. 
What is it? And I completely agree with everything that you said. And I, I also am an NLP practitioner. And so I, we can, we can jive on that in a little bit, but I'm curious, what is it that you find in working with people, um, with entrepreneurs? What do you find is the, is normally the biggest block? Is there one thing that, that, or a group of things that you are normally honing in on or can say like you've seen a pattern? Yeah. So I think what people say and where it stems from are two different things. And mm-hmm. I think that the the most common thing I hear is that people don't want to come off as being pushy. Yeah. Especially when it comes around handling objections, right? They don't want to come off as pushy. Sometimes I hear the word sleazy, but pushy is the word that I hear the most often. And I think that stems from this belief system that entrepreneurship sometimes, especially sales, is like evil or bad for some reason. And I think that's perpetuated by like our media, right? Like if you watch any movie out in the world, almost any movie you watch, the bad guy at like the top is always some evil corporation or some Mm -hmm. rich guy looking to make a buck, right? It doesn't matter almost everything, unless it's about like a serial murder or something psychotic like that. Like it's almost always some, some rich guy, right? And so I think it perpetuates this thing about asking for money. So I think people say pushy, but I think it stems from an even deeper belief of not feeling good or not feeling comfortable about asking for money because there's Mm -hmm. some inherent um, belief maybe that money is evil or something like that. Yes, I, I I agree with that. The other thing that that comes up when when just as you were saying that I, I think people have a general problem with asking for yeah. lots of things. I think most of us have trouble. Like that was something I uncovered in myself when I looked at what hurdles I had to overcome to be able to sell more comfortably. And I, I like to look at it like I'm a provider. I I provide a service <laughs> rather than using you know if, if it helps you to not use the the word of sell but the I had trouble asking I had trouble putting myself in that in that position of feeling like and and I think it came from also a, a deeper sense of of feeling like people don't support me so I don't feel supported. So I don't feel comfortable asking because if I don't ask, they can't say no. And that's what I know that they're going to do, that there was just this thought pattern that was happening. Do, do you see any of that with the people that you work with or does that ring true? Oh, hundred percent. I think it's because we have this like superhero complex here in the Western world where we're supposed to be able to handle it all. And it's, pervasive in our society, right? People are scared to ask for a couple of reasons. I think at least, I think one is they think they should be able to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. And I think in the context of sales uh, and selling the product is that they, you know, they think that they shouldn't have to ask sometimes, right? Yeah. Like they think that mm-hmm. the person should just want to buy, but the person has no idea what you do or anything like that. How is a person going to make a decision unless you you help them, help them to make that decision? And it, it is sort of like a passive aggressive sort of um, sort of way of going about and looking at the world yeah. that you know I shouldn't have to ask, right? But why is it a problem to ask? I find that with people. I was just talking with my coaching group yesterday about the importance of making offers. Like yeah. y- you have to make offers. Like people, are like I know what I, people know what I do. Do they? Yeah. How do you know that? Right. Are they right. beating down your door? Right. Why? Why won't you make? an offer. Right. And because then we get to the fear. If you're resistant to it, okay, so if they know, then what's the big deal about you making an offer? Right. 
and we, we have to get to those things. So where do you start with people? What, tell me, tell us a little bit about who comes to you and what issues they're dealing with and, and how, how you start working with them. Where do you start with somebody that's having an issue with sales? They want to, they want to improve their sales skills from yeah. a mindset perspective, because I think that that people think they're going to get like a sales script when right. they go to a sales coach. Where do you, where do you start with people? So when people come to me, normally it's because they have some specific issue. And I, I want to say like 75% of the time, it's they, they say it's objections. They say, mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle objections. Yep. They almost always come to me and say, I don't, I don't know how to handle objections. Mm-hmm. And then I have to backtrack that a little bit, right? Because then we have to start, well, why? Like, what, what is it about? And that, that's when the, I don't want to come off as pushy starts mm-hmm. to come up. So just like you're saying, we have to start with the mindset piece, right? And um, so I, I break down how to like create sales and create a good sales process with by three steps, right? The first step is you have to understand the psychology of sales, but that includes your own psychology as well as the psychology of the customer. Mm-hmm. The second part is then you have to build a process around these factors. And then the third part is you have to have some type of feedback loop, whether it's somebody to role play with or asking your customers for feedback or looking at your sales numbers to get feedback, right? Or a dashboard, right? If you have a large organization, I've consulted with some, um, you know, quite a few startups uh, here in Silicon Valley, then we're always looking at dashboards to see, you know, mm-hmm. what, what the feedback is. Uh, but you have to have a feedback loop. So we always start with the psychology part. And the first part is the the mindset of the entrepreneur, because if they're normally scared to try to overcome objections or they want, don't want to feel pushy, it's normally some type of internal mental block. And it's the fact that I think that, like, just like you're saying, they don't want to ask, they don't want to come up as pushy. And I always tell them, like, I always, I always try to make some type of reference. For instance, I might say to somebody something like, imagine you are not a plumber. Let's assume the person is not a plumber. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'll say, uh, your, your toilet breaks, your whole house smells like crap. And the plumber comes over and he says, oh, it's 200 bucks. And you say, no, thanks. And then the plumber goes, walks off. Like whose lives are better? Like whose lives have been Mm -hmm. elevated because you said no and the plumber just walked off? Like nobody, right? Like the plumber now is going to go home spending an hour's time looking at your toilet and they go home and they can't feed their family or can't provide and add to their children's college funds. And you still have a stinking toilet, right? Like no one's better, but if the plumber maybe helped you a little bit in that process, told you why it's not good to have a stinking toilet, I hope we would know it's not good. But if you explain some of the reasons why, maybe fecal matter starts to like whatever, <laughs> like spray into the uh, this is going TMI here, right? But it starts to float around your house. Like that's some bad stuff that's going in your house. And now what happens if you do decide to pay him the two hundred bucks? Like both of your lives are elevated. Like now he's able to go home and feed his family. He's able to contribute to his ch- child's education fund as well as you're now able to have a nice, clean, fresh-smelling home. So I think people have to understand that when you do create a sale, and sometimes you have to overcome an objection or two to make that happen, but when you do, if you sell a good product that's really helping people in the world, and I believe most people do, right? Like even a plumber, electric, they all sell great products that help us. Both lives are elevated, and that's how we as a society get better, right? That's how we as a society grow because we're all collectively helping each other through this exchange of energy that we just happen to call money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's important when we spend and when we, when we 
the way that you spend money, the way that the type of customer you are is going to help you in your sales process or hurt you depending on sure. which way you fall on that. Like I always I'm always looking at the way that I behave to see if it's mirroring something I'm experiencing in my sales process or something I'm experiencing with my prospects and and customers and, and clients that I'm working with. Because, you know, am am I doing what I'm struggling with? Right. <laughs> Am I am I am I being an example of that? And that, and so one of those one of those things that always comes up for me is, am am I being really stingy with my money? Am I or am I seeing it as contributing to the greater greater economy? Am I seeing it as contributing to, you know, like you said, like feeding the you know we had our sprinklers fixed. It's not sure. something that I was excited about fixing. Sprinklers are not a sexy thing yeah. to spend like a grand on. But it was like, but this guy is, you know, that's what he charges and he yeah. did a good job and he's going to go home and it's going to go back into like the local economy. And when you yeah. think about it that way, it changes your relationship to the sale. Right. I agree. And they can do it so much better than you can. I, I, somewhere, I paid somebody, uh, I think 300 bucks to pull the 250, I think, to pull the weeds out of my backyard. And <laughs> he literally did it in, in like 45 minutes. I was like, well, I just paid this guy 250 to do something in 45 minutes. But I thought about it. Like I'm in my front yard sometimes doing that. And it takes me like 30 minutes to pull one weed. Well, and and what's your time worth? Exactly. Like it comes down to that, you know, would would you charge more than that yourself for exactly. the work that you do? Yes, then then it's worth hiring somebody else. Um so talk to us a little bit about the the psychology of sales and so these this kind of three steps that you take people through. So mm-hmm. the psychology of sales for you and for the buyer. Sure. Now What's the buyer's psychology of sales? So I guess we have to start with the overall picture, right? Um, Because when I talk about the psychology of sales, I talk about trying to understand what the buyer psychology is. And and I do that in lots of ways, uh, working through one-on-one with clients and uh, I'm coming out with a course right now to teach some of that. Mm -hmm. But what happens is when people come off as pushy in their sales process, it's because normally they're trying to push their reasons for wanting something onto the buyer. Because as, as an LFP practitioner, you know that we all have our own set of filters, right? Like I have a set of filters, you have a set of filters. Our filters are not the same. Because mm-hmm. we're both in the same industry and we seem to get along and we have, you know, ours might be semi-similar, right? right. But no two peoples are going to be the same. So what happens is people come off pushy when you as the entrepreneur, you as a salesperson, know your own product. You know why you think it's healthy or good or beneficial for the person. You know why it's a value to you. And then you try to push that value system onto the customer, onto the prospect. And maybe that's not what's valuable to them. Or maybe that's not how they would choose to describe that value. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you have to do is understand, well, what is their value system, right? What do they believe about whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish? Like, what are the specific words that they use? Because what what's, one word means to me might not mean to the other person. And so understanding that and then selling to them based off of why they want it is how you break through that psychological barrier. And then you don't feel like you're being pushy because you're talking about what they care about and not what you care about. 
how it relates to them, how it helps exactly. them, how it serves them. And I'm, you know, like the simplest way, someone might be saying, well, how do I do that? Well, you ask questions exactly. would be my, my guess and <laughs> what you advise people to do there. Um, and that's, that is, I, and I, I, I've caught my own clients doing this too, where they have a sales call, they have a sales meeting, they have somebody that they're meeting with, and they want to know what they should say. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually, what should you ask? Yeah, agreed. You should do very little talking mm-hmm. in a sales conversation. You should be like 20% of the conversation. The rest of it should be them talking to you and telling you what's important to them. And then you offering them something that, or not, maybe you aren't, maybe your solution. Like I go into every sales conversation truly with the, and this shifted my energy with it, where it's, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk and I'm going to see if what I do is a good fit for you. If it isn't, I will tell you that and Mm -hmm. I won't pitch you and I'll just, maybe I'll refer somebody or maybe I'll just wish you well, but I don't, I don't push anything on anyone and it's made it where I have, I don't sweat about sales conversations anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used to, I used to, cause you felt like you were going to get it wrong. Right. Agreed. Which I think is just a huge fear that many people have is just, I'll get it wrong. And then I miss my chance. And if I miss this chance, then right. put all this meaning on what that one conversation will mean. Right. <laughs> I think that's why the discovery process, you know, I, I say that every sales call has to be broken down into, it doesn't matter if you do a multiple call process or if it's a one call process, but each individual call and a process as a whole has to be broken down to three steps. The first step is always discovery. And that's when you're literally just asking questions and learning about the person and learning about their goals, what they're trying to move towards, what they're trying to move away from. Mm-hmm. And you always have to start there first, because without doing the proper discovery, you haven't earned the right to pitch your product. But then you can go to the second step when you actually do pitch and maybe you do talk a little bit more, but you do want to be asking questions primarily. And then you have to go to the third step is the actual close. And I love what you say about asking questions, Ashley, because I use this analogy. Uh, this analogy I always use for this. Uh, you ever watch Law and Order? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, you watch the old school ones like the Jack McCoy when he just like works the courtroom. Yeah. So like the way I always try to explain um, the sales process is picture it like a courtroom. And, you know, courtroom has the witness, the jury, the judge, and the the attorney, right? Mm -hmm. So you as the salesperson and you and the entrepreneur, you're like Jack McCoy. You're the attorney, right? The attorney never says anything, tells anything. They ask questions. And the customer you have in front of you is the witness. So you're asking questions and you're trying to get the customer in front of you to tell a story. And then their brain is the judge and the jury, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then through this cycle, that's how you get them to realize or not whether or not your product is right for them or not, because their own judge or jury will decide for them. And that that's how that's the analogy I always like to use uh, when I really think about selling. I think that helps. I think that helps to kind of understand what your role is in yeah. this whole thing, because I think we get confused that we should be like, like you're on a stage and you're delivering this pitch yeah. the whole time like okay i'm going to pitch and that's that's not that's not a recipe for a lot of closing right there are certain things that are set up that way if you're giving a presentation that's a different story but to be yeah. doing it in a meeting and doing it in a sales call it's about asking the right questions it's yeah. about understanding that person better and whether you can really help them and going into it 
at, you know, there, there's sort of this presumption that you are the right one for them. If you go into it, just waiting to close right. and you're not listening and who the hell are you? You don't know if you're right for them yet. If you haven't spoken to them right. yet, right. you need to find out more. So go in with that energy and people will feel that. Mm-hmm. I agree. hundred percent. I think they'll always feel that authenticity that you care more about their end result than uh, lining your pocket. Uh, you've got to do both, right? Because you can't survive without a profit, obviously. Of course. Uh, but at the same time, you want to make sure that they understand that your primary concern is that they're going to win more, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're going to be the bigger winner in this in this scenario than you. And that's normally true, right? Like I, I'll charge what I charge for sales training, um, but they'll use that knowledge and make infinitely more money with it than yes. I will just for the time that I work with them, right? So they'll always win more. Mm-hmm. So, so talk to me about the feedback loop. Because people, the people who are listening, may or may not understand exactly what you mean by by the feedback loop. What 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 is a feedback loop? So a feedback loop can be a few different things, like how you how you actually implement it. But it's some way to learn if what you're doing is working or not, and how to get better at it. I think when people are selling, especially in a one on one capacity. Obviously, your closing ratio, how often you're selling is a, is a great feedback loop, number one, but you also want to get better, right? Like you want to increase that closing percentage as well. And so in order to do that, I think the best thing to have is have some type of role play partner, somebody that you can practice with. Uh, you know, I have a client who um, he just practices with his wife all the time, right? He'll just say, hey, honey, like uh, uh, George taught me this today and uh-huh. uh, uh, I want to try this. So can you try it? And he'll, he'll practice with his wife, you know? Uh, and then she'll say what she liked or didn't like, and I'll tell them to try with some other people too. But you need some type of feedback loop. So that's that's definitely uh, one way you could do it. And the other way is also to just look at your numbers, right? Because that, that'll tell you. And that's actually why I like some type of money back guarantee. I know some people like them and some people don't, depending on the type of product you sell. But the reason I like money back guarantees, I call it a risk reversal, mm-hmm. is because then you have real world feedback, Right, like if one person re- returns something, then that's probably them and not you. But if you see multiple people returning something and they're telling you for the same reason, maybe you got to look at your product. Maybe you got to look at your offering and and tweak it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important to be doing that to just kind of be looking at data. Right. You know, data is is important. But I love that you bring up having a role play partner and actually playing this out with somebody where you can ask them questions about what their experience was like. Mm-hmm. How did I seem? How did I make you feel? Yep. Did you, were you believing me? Were you, was this intriguing? What was missing? Would you have yeah. bought it? Like those, those simple questions. And do you recommend people ask people the same questions so that it's like apples to apples comparisons? Do you, do you, do you teach a script or do you teach more of like an energy and, um, you know, kind of a loose outline of how a sales call should go? Kind of both. So I do have a very specific discovery framework that I use for discovery. Mm -hmm. And I do teach very specific ways to handle certain objections. Um, Not necessarily scripted per se, but but they're half scripted, I guess, right? Just kind of fill in the blanks with some of the stuff. Uh, But then I also talk a lot about the energy as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how you're energetically coming off in your sales presentation, in your sales process, uh, because you want to take people on a journey. So for instance, like, you know, during the discovery process and uh, um, I'm using NLP terms, I know NLP trained, but I also 
explain what they are, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the listeners will know. Um, so there's a concept called pacing and leading, right? Pacing is where you're matching the customer's energy or whoever you're talking to. And um, what happens is after you pace somebody for a little while, that's what builds rapport, right? Because people are built rapport with people they connect with, people they feel similar to. It's not actually based off of interests uh, because there's a lot of people who who get, I, like I get along great with uh, this friend of mine and we're on complete opposite sides politically, complete opposite sides on a lot of things. We, I'm a Yankee fan. He's an A's fan. Like we're very opposite on a lot of things, mm-hmm. uh, but we get along great because energetically, right? We're the same. And so that's us pacing each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after you've paced somebody for a while, you're allowed to do what's called leading them. Meaning if you're doing something, you can lead them to an energetic state you want them to go to. Uh, if, you, if you're listening out there, you want to try this. Um, if, if, if coffee shops are open in your area, sit with an eyes view of somebody. We used to do this too, me and my friends. Uh, sit with an eye shot view of somebody you don't know. And every time they pick up and make sure they can kind of see you from the corner of their eye. And every time they pick up their drink to drink something, you pick up your drink Mm -hmm. and do it over and over and over again. And then one time, instead of following them, you do it first. You pick up your drink and then see if they'll pick up their drink, right? And Mm -hmm. it'll happen a good amount of time when they'll all of a sudden just uh, follow your lead, which is the leading part. So during the discovery process and the initial rapport building, when you first start your sales call, that's when you want to be in full pace mode. Because, you know, you ever been in like this tired state and then you you get on a meeting, you get on a sales call and the person's like, hey, everybody, how are you doing? And yeah. then you're like, I'm not in the mood for this, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's, it's, this is not where I'm at right now. We're not in the same place right now, me and you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So during the rapport and the discovery phase, you want to go to wherever they are, right? If they're in low energy, you're at the low energy state. If whatever rate of speech they're using, that's the rate of speech you use. And then you want to pace them energetically during the entire discovery and rapport building process. Then once you've done the discovery and you're connecting with them, then you've kind of earned the right to now pitch a product because you found out they are the right customer for you. You can actually help them and you've been pacing them for a while. So you've probably built a little bit of rapport with them. And when you go into presentation, that's when you can begin to lead. And that's when you can up your energy level a little bit because you want them to feel the same energy for your product or your service that you feel for it. And that's when you're going to raise your energy level up a bit. And then you go for the initial close. And then when you get to the closing portion, that's when you kind of go back and forth. Because whenever they give you an objection, you want to go back down to their level, right? You want to make sure you fully understand, you're empathetic with them, and you understand where they're coming from first. And then when you want to start to talk about why, you know, they should actually purchase a product because it's beneficial for them, right? Like why you should not let this objection hold you back from getting a positive result in your life. Then you want to lead them a little bit. And then there's kind of this dance um, back and forth. Um, so to answer your original question, um, I, yes, sometimes I will have them uh, repeat the same questions or same things with a few people. Um, but I always tell them to ask for feedback and then go to those same people and then try it again a different way. And I think that's why it's sometimes good to have a consistent role play partner so they can track your changes mm. along the time, uh, you know, along the span or whatever time length you're doing uh, uh, to to get better at this. No, I love that you said that because that that is important to have some continuity where, you know, you're not catching somebody on a bad day. You're not, yeah. under, you know, that it's not some outlier. You didn't do something weird one time. If it's the same person that's that's 
kind of evaluating you and giving you some feedback, then they can see the progress and they can let you know, well, I liked it better when you were, you were in this yeah. energy. And I, I remember um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a very big Howard Stern fan. And he cool. talked about how, um, how his, like his kind of whole thing. And if you saw private part, this is in the movie, but that. that his wife at the time, not the wife he has now, when he was making the transition from being like a DJ to being who he is now, where he talks like himself and tells his own stories and kind of invented that style of radio, that it was his wife who listened all the time and always gave him feedback where she was just like, I really liked this one part you did today where you were just talking about you. And he was like, I was just riffing. That was actually just, she's like, no, no, it was funny. And it felt good. It felt better than all the other stuff that you did. And it ended up being how he went on to become the king of all media yeah. <laughs> self-proclaimed but but it does it, it does show that the, the people who know us and the people who have seen us evolve can can give us little clues as to when we're stepping in the right direction 100 percent, 100 percent. i agree with that totally i love i i, I love this because i i'm and i'm glad that we had this conversation because sales is we like I said in the beginning, people think that it's it's the right pitch because people have Facebook ads where they're you know for thirty seven dollars they'll give you the the exact pitch that landed them you know two million dollars worth of business right. last month, and they they think that there's some sort of magic framework. And while there is a framework that we follow, it much it is much more about what you bring into the sales process. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the state that you're in when you approach your sales, like, like we said at the beginning, if you don't believe in what you're selling, you can't sell it. Right. hundred percent. I believe partially like that, 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 uh, presentation process in that middle is to transfer the energy and the feeling you have about this product, your belief onto that person. So they can believe it as strongly as you do. Of course, you want to make sure that it's it's that they're believing it for the reasons that they want to believe it for, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're using, um, you know, it's their reasons for wanting it, not not your own specific reasons. But you want them to feel your energy because you know you have a good product, right? Like you know what you do is good. Like you know you're a great business coach and you know you can help most people. I know I'm a great sales coach and I know I can help most people with their sales process. I want them to feel that energy that I have. Yeah, and I and I love how you put that—that that it's a transfer of energy somewhere in bet- in the in the middle that you're 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 now transferring this and transitioning over into your love of your product and allowing that to be contagious. Right. After you've taken in all of this information and and the other person's energy, but I, I hope that that kind of gives people a little bit of a visual that or or some sort of a feel of what the sales process can be like and what a successful sales process can be like that you come in with complete and total belief in your product you come in with energy behind it knowing that if this person is right i can help them mm-hmm. i want to hear their story i want to serve them and that is my goal with this and then at the end of it, if it comes out that you can help them, that they have a prob- a true problem that you solve, then putting your energy behind serving them because you can help. They said they wanted a solution. You have it. You are not being pushy. You are being of service. Right. 100%. I don't think of it as being pushy. I, th- I like to be pulley. Uh-huh. I like to think about it, right? <laughs> I like, like that. I want, I want to attract people towards me and my energy. And I want my energy for what I do to be almost magnetic 
mm-hmm. where you're drawing yep. and you're pulling people in. Um, and then maybe you have to, you know, put your hands down. So help them up over the wall, right? So yeah. they can get to your side of the fence, right? Um, but you're using that initial attraction to get them to the wall. And then you kind of help them prop them over the wall. Yep. And not everybody will be ready. Not everybody will be ready to take that leap or take that leap with you. And, yeah. you know, you just have to, but, but I, I always like to think about it. Like I didn't let them off the hook right. in the sense that I just, I didn't let my own insecurities or my yeah. own fear of being pushy keep me from giving them the solution they said that they were looking for, because they're going to find it right. someplace else. If they really are in search of a solution, they're going to pay somebody. Mm-hmm. And Great. if you feel like you are the best person for that job, do you not have a duty to let them know that? Yeah. And you know, if you're if you're acting out of integrity and you're the one to help them, then put your best foot out there and and serve this person. I love that you said those two words, duty and integrity, because those are the exact two words that I use. Mm-hmm. I always say that when someone gives you an objection and you know your product is good for them, you know and you believe in your product so much that you're the one to actually help them out, then I also believe that to be an integrity, you've got to do whatever you can to try to help this person. I believe it's your ethical duty to go and try to help this person out. Because if you don't and you believe you're basically one of the best at this, they might go to somebody else and get a lesser product. Yep. They might never get the help. They might be stuck in their problem for years where if you just maybe would have tried a little bit harder, then maybe they could have came over the wall, mm-hmm. right? And maybe not. Maybe for whatever reason, their blocks are so big that they're just not going to come over the, over the wall. At least you know and you can sleep well at night knowing that you did everything in your power to at least try to help this person. And right. if they still say no, that's on them, right? After that. You're a provider of a solution. Yeah. And if they said that they had a problem and you are the best person to solve that problem for them, in your opinion, this is where I think it really helps, you know, the, the importance of niching um, and knowing your ideal client and having an ideal client. I think that this is where it comes up too, because I know my ideal client when I see it. And there are certain people, if you tell me what your problems are, if we go through the discovery process and I'm like, this is what I do. I feel very much in my power to not push, but pull and just let them know that this is exactly what I do. This is what I help people with. This is my superpower. If you are truly looking for a solution to it, I believe I'm it. And when I didn't have as, 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 you know, uh, firm a, a grip on who my niche was mm-hmm. and I was more broad with it. I questioned that more. Sure. Now I look at it and I'm like, Nope, I know her when I see her, I know him yeah. when I see him, like you start talking to me, you tell me what your issues are. There are certain things. Like if you start talking to me about, you know, you want full automation on, I'm like, I'm not your person. That's right. not what I do. But if you're looking for a certain type of transformation, I'm like, mm, I can help you there. Yeah. That's so, awesome. so, so, so much, so much of it, I think is, is knowing yourself, having that belief and that, that just solidifies the belief that you have in your product. I, I agree wholly. And, and, and I, another thing about, you know, knowing your niche is you get to work with people you actually like, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have a niche, you just end up working with anybody and you might, you might not actually like doing that job. Yeah, no. And it, like you get to choose. Yeah, <laughs> you get to pick who you work with, and the better you are at speaking to that person, then you're calling out. You know, you're sending out the right signal. They're 
they're responding and you're working with your dream client all the time. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. Well, I love this. I love this conversation. And, you know, I just, I, I, I think you're wonderful and I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything else that you would, I, I'd love for you to tell everybody where they can stay in touch with you, but is there anything you wanted to leave the listeners with um, before we sign off? Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of the whole theme of, I've been saying in the very beginning, um, if you have a product out there and you believe it's good for somebody and it's ethical and, and it's going to help people in the world, it is your ethical duty I believe at least to get it out into the world because that's how we as a society grow. That's how we as a society get better. Could you imagine if Ford decided to not sell the Model T? Mm-hmm. Where would we be today? Would we have cars today? I don't know. Would we be 50 years off? I don't know. Imagine if Elon Musk right now was not deciding to try to sell the Tesla. Mm-hmm. Would we use up every fossil fuel? I mean, we probably will anyway. Uh, I don't. I think that's where we're going regardless. <laughs> but will we have a solution for after they're gone? <laughs> right? Uh, maybe not, right? So he's he's trying to do things to make the world a better place. But in order to do that, he has to sell the Teslas because I forgot what year it was, 2014. I can't remember when it was. I know it was right before the Model 3 came out. Uh, Tesla almost went bankrupt. Yeah. And in order for them to not go bankrupt, what do you have to do? Sell cars. Mm-hmm. And now we might have a greener future because of that, or at least one where we have an alternate solution when we run out of those fossil fuels. Yep. So I believe it's really your ethical duty to uh, go out and, and get your product, get your service out into the world and help as many people as you possibly can. I love that. I couldn't agree more. And tell everybody where they can stay in touch with you and learn more about you if they want to if they want to continue following you. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two places. Um, one of them is uh, my podcast, which you can just open up since you're probably on your podcast app right now. Uh, mm-hmm. You can open that up. Uh, the podcast is called Money, Love, and Freedom. So you can just search Money, Love, and Freedom and you'll find me there. And uh, the best way to get in contact with me is on Instagram. Uh, I love having conversations with people there. So if you want to reach me there, you can find me at Coach George Wang, just one word. So that's Coach George Wang. Awesome. Well, we will link all of that up in the show notes to make it super easy for you. So you don't have to worry about it. If you weren't able to write all of that down, we've got you covered. Just hop on over to the show page and we will link you up there. You can be transported over to all the places that George just mentioned. Thank you so much for being here, George. This was such a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you, listener, if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for being here always and for you being here now. So just remember, You are only limited by the limitations that you accept. And when you stop accepting those limitations, that is when you become limitless. I will see you on the next episode. Until then. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more of this type of content and conversation in your life, please come check out our free Facebook community, Unlock Your Inner CEO, where you'll find next level entrepreneurs just like you. Go to innerceogroup.com to join. I'll see you there.